moving forward in our series called The Power of Truth. And, and last week, uh, we, we started uh, this series with the power of truth on a kingdom level, on a, on a cultural level, global level, and just the significant impact and the necessity of God's truth, God's word, the words of Christ, the gospel, Genesis to Revelation, the truth, uh, the imperative nature of the truth being involved in our lives and in the culture and in the kingdom because it's the truth of God and only the truth of God that sparks faith, that gives salvation, and that advances the kingdom and brings growth and expansion in the human heart, uh, in our families, uh, and ultimately in the culture. And that, that the power of truth is just that. It is epically powerful, and it's imperative that we have it in our lives. And so I want to move from the kingdom level down to uh, a worship level this morning. I want to I preach a message about the power of truth in worship, the power of truth in worship. And uh, in our modern culture, especially in, in most you know, modern American churches, worship uh, is actually a very small thing. Worship is, is basically only something that happens occasionally week to week on Sunday mornings or maybe in your, in your alone time uh, if, if you have that a part of your life. Uh, but in reality, worship is significant. Worship is uh, epic. Worship is the reason why we were created. Worship uh, is, is the reason we, we exist. Worship should define our relationship with God. It should define the way that we live our life. Ultimately, as the Spirit of God works in the life of a believer and renews our mind and transforms us into the image of Christ, ultimately what that brings us to is what Paul calls in Romans 12, uh, a life of worship, a spiritual act of worship, which is living our lives as a living sacrifice. Ultimately, living our lives every day uh, as an act of worship, uh, giving God glory, serving God, and just signing our life over and the entirety of our life over to Jesus. That worship is, is powerful on Sunday mornings. It's powerful in small group settings. It's powerful in house churches. It's powerful on midweek. It's powerful in song form, hymn form, spiritual songs like Ephesians says. It's powerful in our alone time. And that type of worship is significant. But worship is, is epic. Worship is, is the, the defining nature of our life and our relationship with God, or it should be. And so when we talk about worship, it's, it's significantly more than song and music. It's, it's everything. Uh, and, and one of the most, in my opinion, the most powerful, dynamic teaching on worship comes between a conversation that Jesus has uh, with a Samaritan woman at a well in Samaria. And this is all out of John chapter 4, verse 4, and that's where we're going to start today. And I want to just give you a warning up front. Okay, I, this, I, there's a lot of scripture that I've got to get through fast before we can get to the meat of it. So I'm going to kind of move fast. If you miss something, uh, it's okay. You can watch it over again. But I, I, what I don't want you to do is as we go through this, because I'm about to give us something. As we go through this, I don't want you, if you've been a part of church for 25 years, to think you've heard this message 50 times over and you know and you're checking out mentally because you know what's up. I don't want you, if it's your first time here, to think, oh, this seems pretty epic and beyond my understanding, so I'll, maybe there'll be something simpler. I, I want you to listen with a humble and an open heart and let the Spirit of God change your life. I believe that this word this morning has the power to do that because it is the words of Jesus. And so I, I want us to, to look at this. I'm going to restart with verse 4, John 4, verse 4. 
And as we get into this, there is a word that is said five times in five verses. And that is the word Samaria or Samaritan or a version of that. And so I want to do something because I want to make sure that we all are aware how imperative God thinks the idea of Samaria is in this. And so when we get this, like verse four, it says, now he had to pass through Samaria. When we get to the word Samaria, all of us are going to say it together, okay? Now, I know that most of the first-time guests show up at the later service, and so you might not feel comfortable, and it might not be this way the church you came from, but I want everybody to play a part. And if you've been coming to the church, you know that if I don't feel like everybody's playing a part, that we'll do this over and over again until all the Methodists and the Baptists have filled up all the lunch tables everywhere. So if you're hungry, then you need to play along with me, right? You good? Okay. So I'm, we're going to practice. I'm going to say one, two, three, and then we're going to say Samaria together, and we're just going to see where everybody's at. One, two, three. Samaria. Man, that was awesome. You guys killed the first service. That was incredible. That made me excited. Okay, so we're going to read John 4, 4. We're going to read through these five verses. Every time we get there, you're going to say it out loud, starting with verse 4. Now he had to pass through. Samaria. So he came to a town of called Sikar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Since Jacob's well was there, Jesus, weary from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour when a... Somebody got thrown off. They were like, a Samaritan woman. (laughs) When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. She says, you are a Jew, said the woman. How can you ask for a drink from me, a woman, for Jews do not associate with? All right, so this is a lot of times when we read the Bible, we forget or maybe we don't realize that God is super direct. He's super uh, instinctual. He's very uh, intentional with his wording and with the way that he writes scripture and and, and gives us truth. And so for God to go out of his way to make sure that we knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus was in Samaria, in Saqqara, a town of Samaria, uh, near a well in Samaria, talking to a Samaritan woman. And the first thing she brings up in response to him asking for a drink is the fact that she's Samaritan. That five times in five verses, God wants us to know this conversation about worship is imperative that she's a Samaritan and that we know that and understand that. The reason why that being Samaritan and this woman being a Samaritan woman is so paramount, especially in a conversation about worship of God, is because the Samaritans share an ancestral heritage with the Jews, that the Samaritans believe, uh, and and it's true that Jacob, they're a direct bloodline to Jacob, and in the Old Testament, when God raised up Abraham to bring a nation for himself, Israel, to bring about the Savior, Jesus, he started with one man, Abraham, and he created a nation, and Abraham, his son was Isaac, and Isaac's son was Jacob, and Jacob was in the lineage of Christ, and Jacob's bloodline also went down to the Samaritans. And so the Samaritans, their, their religious, worshipful connection to God was through Jacob, and they adhered to uh, Yahweh, or the, that's the name of God in the Old Testament, that they worshiped God. They worshiped God the Father. They worshiped the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Old Testament. They worshiped the same God that we would call God as believers, the Father. Uh, but there is a significant difference 
that Jesus lays out, ultimately he arrives at this point, and I think that it's imperative that we know this heading into this conversation. Ultimately, he communicates to this woman, Jesus does, that this woman is in an active, worshipful lifestyle of God whom she does not know. And through the course of this conversation, Jesus points out three distinctly difficult things to hear for this Samaritan woman, but his heart is not to tear her down. Her heart, his heart is to tear these things down, these false views down, so that she can actually experience the power of true and genuine worship and, and salvation in Christ. And so as we go through this, this conversation, it's important, uh, it's imperative that as we read through this, that we understand that Jesus is communicating three distinct points to her to reveal to her and to show her, though she does worship God whom she believes is Yahweh, she ultimately does not know God. And he wants to expose this, not condemn her, but save her, open up salvation, and then teach her what true worship is. Jesus is trying to tear down our false views so that we can actually experience what he calls true worship. And so as we go into this, it's difficult for this woman to hear the words of Christ. And this morning for some of us here, some of us at house church, some of us watching online with our families, it might be difficult for us to hear this morning, but listen with an open heart, listen with a humble heart, and let the Holy Spirit speak to you through his word this morning and change your life, because I believe that he will. Jesus asked the woman for a drink of water. Now, Jesus is doing this thing that Jesus does, where he starts a conversation about mud or trees or an ant, which he never actually did. That's not biblical. But he starts a natural conversation, and then he drives it and uses that as a launching point into a deep spirit, life-altering conversation. And that's what he does here by asking her for a drink of water. And her response initially uh, is, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. Why are you even talking to me? And then he immediately, his next response takes it into this God, one level down into the spiritual. He says in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who is asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So he, he's immediately taking it into the spiritual. And this is his first attempt to tear down this wall in her life and this false view of worship in her life where he says, you don't know the gift of God. If you knew the gift of God, and Ephesians says, without doubt, the gift of God is salvation, the forgiveness of sins. And he said, if, if, you, if you knew what God was doing through me, Jesus, if you knew that what the Father sent me for, and you knew who I was, and you knew that, that God was trying to make a way or was making a way uh, for your sins to no longer be held against you, that God was saving you from your, your enslavement to sin, if you knew the gift of God, you would be interacting with me very differently. And though she now understands that this is turning into a weird God conversation, though it started with this homeless guy asking for water, that now it's kind of going this God way and she's not sure how to handle it. And so she says in verse 11, sir, the woman replied, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then will you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? This is her way of, of, of establishing she is aware this is a God conversation. She brings it to Jacob. She's establishing, I get where you're going. I get it. Are you greater than Jacob? We know, we know the well. We know our location. We know who God is. We're ancestors of Jacob who gave us his well, drank for himself, as did his sons and his livestock. 
And then Jesus goes a step further. He said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a fount of water springing up to eternal life. And so Jesus, again, he takes a deeper dive. And so he says, the gift of God, he says, this living water, and now he says, this living water will become a spring in your life to well you up to eternal life. So he, he's again bringing this down where he's, now she knows without a doubt, this is a God conversation. He's taking it deeper and deeper into this spiritual realm. And now we're talking about living water and the gift of God. And then she, she comes and she says, okay, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water. Right, and I just wanna be, you just got, you gotta be in this moment. I think sometimes if we would just step into the Bible, we would understand a little bit more. She's like a little confused. She's a little weirded out. She's not sure what to think about this guy. First, he's just randomly asking for water, and then he's talking about the gift of God, and then he's talking about eternal life. And I feel like there's a lot of people that could kind of relate with her. Like you're in the room this morning because you came and you're kind of open to the idea of God, but then you've met some really weird, strange Christians, and so you're just not sure if you really wanna go down that path because of Kevin that you work with. And so you're just sitting there, and I feel like that's kind of where this woman is. She's like, I'm, I'm kind of open. You're talking about eternal life. Is this really about water? Kind of where are we going? And she's just like, okay, bro, give me the water. I don't want to have to come back to this well every day. So if you have some water, they'll never let me thirst again. And I can get this eternal life you're talking about. I'm open to it. I'm here. Talk to me. But then Jesus does this thing that Jesus does. And he proves to her beyond the shadow of a doubt at a minimum that he is a powerful man of God. Now we know that he's fully God and fully man if you're a believer, you know that, but he, he, he does this thing to her and, and he says, go call your husband and come back. Go call your husband and come back. And, and she replies, I have no husband, the woman replied. And now in, in verse 17 and 18, this is one of my favorite verses about Jesus because this is a verse that proves to me that Jesus is sarcastic. And so it's okay if I'm sarcastic. <laughs> Do you see what I did there? Because I love the way he responds. He's funny, I think. I think Jesus was funny. I think he's very intelligent, all-knowing God. I think he's funny. He said to her, you're correct. You're super correct that you don't have a husband. Uh, in fact, you've had five husbands, and the guy you're shacking up with right now is not your husband at all. So you're right. You don't have a husband. Do you hear the sarcasm just a little bit? He says, go, go, go bring your husband and come back. And, and she doesn't want to open up that part of her life. She's obviously walking in a lot of shame and guilt because of this situation in her life. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And he does this to make sure, two things, to make sure she knows, ultimately, he knows what's up. And so he says, listen, I know you don't have a husband. You're right. You've had five husbands. And the guy you're sleeping with is not your husband. And so now they're in this weird moment. Uh, and, and, and she knows beyond the shadow of a doubt now that this, this man is a powerful man of God at a minimum. She calls him a prophet. But I want you to understand as Jesus is doing this, there's two reasons why he does this. The first is he, want, he, he is, is showing her, uh, bringing conviction, what we might call it, into her life to say, I know, I know your heart. I know that you are enslaved to sin. 
I know that sin dominates your life. I know that you're in the darkness. I know that you're in the chaos. I know that you are eternally separated from God, that you are a sinner, and that you're in need of a Savior. That's the number one thing he's pointing out there. He's saying, I, I know your sins. I know the dark secrets. I know the things you're ashamed of that you're trying to keep hidden. I know the things that bring guilt into your life. I know those things, and I want you to know, number two, I know these things, but I'm still here having this conversation with you. I'm still here. I know your deepest, darkest sins. Not only am I here because I'm here to save you from that. I'm here to set you free from that. He's not just wanting to condemn her. John 3 says that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world to save the world, not to condemn the world. The world is already condemned in our sins. Prior to Christ, we're already condemned in our sins. We're enslaved to sin. All we know is sin. We cannot help but to live in sin, rebellious in our hearts. And he's saying, I see you. I know you, I know the real you, but I'm still here and I'm still offering you eternal life because I love you and in my name there's mercy and in my name there is grace and in my name there is forgiveness. So I know the real you, the one that you're ashamed of, the one you try to keep hidden, but I'm still here having this conversation, offering you the gift of God and teaching you about true worship. This should be one of the most encouraging scriptures uh, in the book. Some people say it's not loving to talk about sin. It is the most loving thing you could ever do to expose someone's sin because if nobody exposes their sin, they will never realize they're in need of a savior. And he's saying, I know you and I still love you and I'm here to save you from these things that are causing deep darkness in your life. And so she responds Sir, the woman said, I, I see that you're a prophet. And I think her tone changes. I think her attitude changes. I think that she is no longer worried that this, gay, this guy may try to like kidnap her. I think that she is aware this is a moment in her life. She is aware that this is a the God thing, that this is a deeply spiritual thing. And so she, she moves this conversation deeper. She says, sir, uh, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, uh, but you Jews say that the place where one must worship is in Jerusalem. And so I, there's, there's a lot here, and I don't want to get lost in this, but the heart of this is, this is this woman going, I know that you're talking about life and eternal life. I know now that you're talking about spiritual life, the things that are truly important in life, and you're talking about worship and a life of worship, but you're Jewish and I'm Samaritan, and, and I know that the Jews believe that you can only worship in the temple, but nobody in the temple wants me, a Samaritan, to be in the temple, so where are you going with this? I think she's saying, I know you're from God. I know that this is of God and I want whatever this is, whatever you're selling, I'm buying, but I, I'm not gonna be able to do the Jerusalem thing because they're not gonna let me. She's trying to figure out this situation and Jesus gets to his, start getting to his main point in verse 21. He says, believe me, woman, Jesus replied, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you worship what you do not know. And we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. And so this is the third thing that he communicates to her that's hard to hear, but grips her spirit, grips her soul. And, and, it, and it starts to open up. And the three things, he says, you don't know the gift of God. You don't know that God's paving a way through me. You don't know me, Jesus. 
You're, you're in a life of repentant, uh, unrepentant, continual sin. You're enslaved to sin. You're in need of a savior. You're in the darkness. I'm here to set you free from that. In the life of worship that you are living, this religious uh, nature that you're, you're adhering to, you're worshiping God, but you're worshiping God whom you don't know. And it's important. You have to hang on whom you don't know because it's about what she doesn't know about God that makes her worship, not what God, Christ calls true worship. And one of the things that you might not know, and I didn't know it until I researched it and studied it, is that the Samaritans, though they believed that Yahweh was God, God the Father, God of the Old Testament, that one of the things that they as a people and as a culture struggled with, they struggled with the vastness of God, the greatness of God, the majesty of God. And so there was a, some changes that took place uh, prior even to this moment in history where they went in and they literally took the Pentateuch or the, the first five books of the Bible and they changed, not a ton, but they changed words and they, they changed things around and they made God the great vast creator of the universe. They lowered him down a little bit, made him more human-like. It's just one of the things that they did. And, and so they simply did not know God. They simply did not know who God was. They believed in the God of Jacob, which was the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. They knew his name, but the God that they had, had kind of drawn up in their mind, the God that they had kind of created, the God that they had kind of put in a little box, they, they made that up and they changed and altered it. So though they were worshiping Yahweh, they simply did not know the true God. And so he's laying this out and he's saying, you, you have a life of worship, but you're worshiping a God that you don't know. And so he lays this foundation to gear into the main part, one of the most two powerful, if not the most powerful verses about worship in the Bible. In verse 23, he says, but a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so this is one of those things, and I know that definitives are not popular in today's culture, but you cannot miss the language here. There are some areas of scripture that create what I would call a gray area, where it's up for debate, where there's some things where you could pull from both sides, and it's difficult to get through it. But this right here is not one of those areas. This right here, listen to the language. Christ says, the true worshipers, true worship, meaning there is one type of true worship and it's what I'm teaching you right now. That means any other type of worship is not true worship. He says, this type of true worship, this is the only type of worship that the Father is seeking, that the creator of the universe desires to see in our lives and seeks after in this world is this type of true worship and then he says, if you're not catching the imperative here, he says, God is spirit and his worship, worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so you have these three things. It's, this is true worship, what I'm teaching you. There is no other form of worship that is true except what I'm teaching you. This is true worship. This is the only type of worship God the Father, the creator of the universe, seeks and desires and wants to see in your life. And God is spirit, so you must worship him like this in spirit and truth. That means that any other form of worship outside what Jesus is teaching is not true worship. So that's why these scriptures, that's why this specific words of Jesus in this moment is the most powerful teaching on worship because it tells us exactly what true worship really is. 
And so we have to know what spirit is, and we have to know what truth is, and we have to know what worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth really means. And spirit, I'll start with spirit. Spirit is the deepest uh, internal part of you. It's the deepest internal and eternal part of you. Our spirit is the part that is dead in our sins, but is raised to life in Christ. Even in sin, your mind is still there. Even in sin, your flesh and your body is still there, but it's your spirit that is dead physically, truly, spiritually, dead in sin, and that when you put your faith in Christ, what comes to life in you is that internal, eternal part of you. That when you put your faith in Jesus, it wakes up. It comes to life. Ephesians says that the Holy Spirit of God resonates and testifies with our spirit that we are now sons and daughters of God. So this is is the the heart of this. That the the spirit, true spirit, is deep internal uh, affection for God or for whatever it is that we're going to worship. To, to, to be spirited, to worship in spirit, it's, it's in when, when the deepest part of who we are, the internal, eternal, when we fixate on something that we think is the most valuable thing on the earth. That's what worship is. All worship means is what you ascribe worth to. And so this is the truth. God created the human race to worship. Every single person in this room, every single person at house church, every single person listening online, every single person that would ever watch or listen to this message, you were created to worship and you spend your life worshiping, though it may not be God. Worship is whatever you, there is something in this world, something in this culture, something that you think in the deepest part of who you are, that is the most valuable thing in the world. That, that is the most, that's the thing to live for. That's the thing to chase. That's the thing to go after. Everybody has something like that in the deepest part of them. So the the, the reason this is so important is because to understand that spirit is this deep internal eternal uh, affection place where, where whatever you believe is the most valuable, whatever you believe is worth the most, that there will be this affection that wells up inside of you and it creates external worship or external acts of service or worship. That's why if you think, for example, money is truly the key to life, that the more money you have, the better life will be, the easier life will be, and that's what life needs to be. There'll be an internal affection uh, of money and of resources and of mammon that will pour out and it will lead to you living your life ultimately for mammon. The thing that you have to understand is that you can have internal and eternal affection for anything, not just God. That's why it's so important spirit and truth be involved. Spirit is that, that eternal and uh, internal affection. Hopefully that's for God and that it wells up And it explodes into this external act of worship. That's spirit. Truth is just that. It's truth. It's the truth of God. Now, I want you to hear me. You believe in some level of truth, what you call truth. Everybody does. Everybody adheres to a way of life. 
Every single person adheres to a way of life. Somewhere along the line, somebody told you what life was about. Somebody told you what you believe to be true. Somebody told you whatever you perceive up here. And truth is ultimately gonna guide the way that you live in life. But the thing that I want you to understand is that truth, true truth, is what God says about himself. That true truth is who God truly is and what God has truly done to you. True truth is Genesis to Revelations. True truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Truth is this book that God wrote himself over the course of thousands of years to put it together to teach us what truth was about God. Truth is that God is the creator of the universe, that prior to time and existence, there was God, there was the Son, and there was the Holy Spirit, and that God, through his power, brought about what we would call the eternal heavens and the angelic forces, that God created the heavens and the earth, that God brought about the universe in the way that he did it, that God brought about this world and he brought about the living creatures and that every living creature in heaven and earth, unseen and seen, that every living creature exists only by the will and the power of God himself and that the truth of, of that creation, that humanity, that he created us in his image as male and female and that we absolutely rebelled against God and we chose sin and we chose to trade a truth about God for a lie and that we brought the whole world into sin and we condemned the whole world into sin and that God, instead of destroying us, he made a way for us through the cross of Jesus Christ. He wanted to not hold our sins against us because he loved us so much, but because he was so righteous and he was so just, somebody had to pay the price that we owed. And so in bringing that out on his people that he loved, he brought it down on Jesus, his only begotten son. And Jesus humble came down to this earth. And Philippians says he was obedient to the point of death on a cross and that he came and was perfect and knew no sin and took the sins of the world upon him. And he died taking the sins of this world into the grave itself, leaving them there as he was resurrected to life and all authority in heaven and earth was given to him. And he left behind what we would call the church. And for the last 2000 years, the church has been spreading and expanding the kingdom of heaven through the earth with the power of the gospel and truth. And there will come a time one day when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth riding on a white horse and with the mere breath of his lungs will vanquish the enemy and we will live for all of eternity with God the Father who created us. That is truth. That is truth. That's what truth is. That's Genesis to Revelations. Now you have the arrogant and you have the foolish who would look at that and throw it away, but I am telling you right here and right now, that is truth. You cannot worship God without truth. That's truth. So you have spirit and you have truth. Now, what to worship God in spirit and truth is that the truth of God is the thing that ignites in your heart those internal affections that I was talking about. The spirit is our internal and eternal deepest part of us and that it has to be the truth of God that pierces through the depths of our mind into the depths of our spirit that ignites, that truly ignites our spirit and that it fuels that eternal affection so that when that eternal affection does well out and explode into external acts, it's true worship unto God and not unto a false God or not unto something, an idolistic thing like money, that it has to be the truth that goes in. Now, before we, we get all excited, I, I want us to understand that there's three types of worshipers that we see in the New Testament. 
There's three types of worshipers. The first is the Pharisees. And Jesus describes their worship like this. He says that they honor me with their lips. They have external acts of worship, but their heart is far from me. He says that they have external acts. They even memorize, the Pharisees memorize the first five books of the Bible. We don't know John 3, 16, the most famous Bible scripture in the world. They knew, they knew five books that they memorized, five books of the Bible. My point is, is they had the truth available to them. They memorized the truth, but the truth wasn't within their spirit. And so though they had external acts of worship, they didn't have that internal affection. They didn't have the spirit and it wasn't true worship. In fact, the other time God described worship like that, they honor me with lips, but their heart's far from me. He brought down significant judgment on that culture and on that season of history. God said, I don't even want that type of worship. I don't, I, I don't, not that I don't desire it. I, I, I will make sure you're aware. I don't even want you to do it. In fact, I'll bring judgment to stop you from doing it. That's the first type of worship we see. External acts of the Pharisees, they even have levels of truth. It's in their mind, they've memorized it, but there's no internal genuine affection in the deepest part of who they are. The second worship is the worship like the Samaritan woman who seems to have genuine internal affection even for this God she's calling Yahweh, but that she did not know him. She did not really know his power, his knowledge, his wisdom, his goodness, his mercy, his love. That, that, that her head had been filled with a cultural perception of God. With a, uh, her family had told her a perception of God. That she had taken her own imagination and, 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 created, and created this God. And though that she was worshiping, there was genuine, seemingly a genuine affection for a God named Yahweh, Jesus showed her without doubt, you still did not know. So you've got the Pharisees that, that have no internal affection, that it's not worshiping in spirit, it's just external acts, religion. And then you've got the Samaritan woman who has this internal affection and it's genuine spiritual worship. It's just not to God because there's no truth. And then the third type of worship is this type of worship, true worship that the Father seeks and desires and that we must do it. True worship is powerful. Now, I, I, I wrote this because this, this matters so much and I did not want my excitement or my ADD to distract us away from this. So I wrote this down and I, I want us to hear this and listen to these words. Uh, the Father seeks true worship and true worship must be, your worship must be spiritual, internal affection that explodes into external acts. Those spiritual internal affections must be ignited and fueled by the truth of who God truly is and what he has truly done for you. If worship isn't spiritual, internal affection, ignited and fueled by truth, then at best you are worshiping only the name of God whom you don't know. And at worst, you're worshiping a God you created in your own mind and simply named him Jesus. True worship. The only worship the Father seeks and desires and the way we must worship, because God is spirit, we must worship in spirit and in truth. You can have a level of the truth and no internal affection, meaning it's not in here. 
And you can have a lot of uh, internal affection and emotionalism, but if you have no truth, at best, it's just not real worship, and at worst, it's idol worship and false worship. And, and Jesus was teaching this, and this is hard to hear, but he, he's teaching this because he doesn't, he doesn't want this woman to return the way she came, the way she came. She doesn't, he doesn't want her to, to leave this moment without knowing the gift of God. He, he doesn't want her to leave this moment still adhering to this worthless, pointless worship. He wanted her to leave in a relationship with him. He wanted her to leave in a relationship with the Father. He wanted her to know what true worship was so that she could experience true worship, the power of worship, the joy that's in worship, the peace that's in worship. You'll never be more in the will of God than when you're worshiping. You'll never be more aligned with God and his plan for your life than when you're worshiping. You were created to worship and you will spend your life worshiping something, even if it's not God. But to, to, to get the truth. This is why this is why the truth is so important. This is why uh, the 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 truth, the Genesis to Revelation, the verses, the scriptures, the Bible. This is why we need the gospel, the words of Jesus in the Bible in our lives every single day. This is why we have to have this a part of our daily life. It's not a religious duty. It's not something we just got to check off. It is an absolute necessity. It's imperative because the more truth of God that we get in here, the more eternal affection will build. If you have high truth, you'll have high worship. If you have great truth, you'll have great worship. If you have low amounts of truth, you'll have low amounts of worship. That the truth of God getting into the depths of our heart, into the depths of our soul, and the depths of our mind, getting into this eternal place is what explodes true, genuine worship on Sunday mornings and in our life. The, the way that you get to Romans 12.1 the way that you get to that place, like Paul said, I want to lay my life down as a living sacrifice. That's my reasonable spiritual act of worship is to lay my whole life down to you, Jesus, and just live for you. But nobody remembers the very first words of that scripture. He goes, in view of. In view of what? This is Romans 12. In view of Romans 12, 1 through 12, 11, 29. In view of the truth of God in view of what I now know about Jesus, in view of what I know, uh, the truth of God and who he is and what he's truly done for me, it's my reasonable, I wanna give my whole life to you. I don't wanna just sing songs on Sunday. I wanna wake up every single day. I want you to have my life. I want you to have my time, my energy, my resources, my family, my marriage, my job, my career. I wanna live every second of this short life for you because you're worth it because I know the truth. That's why we have to have this in our life. That's why we have to preach the truth of God every chance we get. That's why the songs that we sing have to be filled with the truth of God. That's why we have to fight for truth. We have to have this truth because it's the truth. It's the gospel. It's the words of Jesus. It's Genesis to Revelation that seeps into the depths of our spirit and changes our lives. We will never grow, expand, live a life of worship be in the will of the Father if the truth of God does not continually permeate our soul. Jesus isn't trying to condemn this woman at all. She's already condemned. He's trying to save her from it. 
He's not trying to judge your worship this morning. He's trying to tear down false worship in your life so that you can experience the power and the joy and the significance of true worship. We have to have truth in our life. And if truth gets into our life and we begin to just meditate and think on the goodness, the compassion, the mercy, the truth, the power of God and all he is and all he's done, there's just this eternal affection that begins to well up and it just starts to explode in external acts and our life changes dramatically. And that's where I'm at in my life where I just, I know that that's what I want. I want to live my life for Jesus. I don't want to just live my life in the 50 minutes I'm on this stage. I want to live my life for Jesus every second that I live because this life gone in a second and he's got me a place in eternity secured. And so while I'm here, I want to make an impact for him. It's the truth of God that drives us that way. Something will tell you how to live your life. You are right now adhering to a way of life. What I'm telling you is, especially if you're a believer, it has to be the truth that's telling you how to live your life. Let the truth permeate your soul. Let the truth permeate your mind. Let the truth change your life. Let the truth create a fire of worship in your spirit until it consumes every part of you. Amen. As we go to worship, meditate on this, have a conversation with God. If you're sitting in the room, you're sitting at house church this morning and you heard me talking about the gift of God and salvation and unrepented sin and, and not knowing Jesus and you know this morning in your heart that you don't know Jesus and you want to, all you've got to do is begin to pray to him right here, right now, adhere to him, put your faith in him. If you believe that he's Lord, that he came to this earth, he's the son of the living God, he died for your sins and is resurrected, confess that, ask Christ into your heart, he'll save you right here and now. If you wanna come to the front at the end of the service, you can. If you wanna talk with us out front, you can. If you're at house church or you're online, you can message us, we would love to talk with you. But for those of us who are believers, let's just take a minute to get before God and meditate on his word this morning. If you guys will stand, I'll pray. Father God, I'm just so thankful, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you will take this message this morning. Father, that you will take your words this morning, Father, that you will just pierce them to the depths of our heart. I pray, Lord, that you will call us to a, a higher place of worship, a greater place of worship, God, that we will see the imperative nature of truth, the power of your word in our lives, God. And I pray, Father, as we, as we turn to your book, as we turn to your truth, as we turn to your righteousness, God, in your word, I pray, Father, that you will just immediately set a fire in our soul, set a fire in our spirit, Lord, that will consume us and change us, God. Let the truth, God, drive us to a life of worship in your holy name.